1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31 is the scripture text for tonight's message. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot shall say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church, first, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. Let's pray. I do not count my life of any value or as precious to myself. If only I might finish my course and complete the ministry that I was given to bear witness to the gospel of the grace of God. Take heed to yourself, John Piper and elders of Bethlehem. Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has set you as overseers to care for the church of God which he bought with his own blood. Lord, there are not many words more 
sobering to me than those words. Care for the church. Don't abuse her. Don't exploit her. Don't manipulate her. Don't scold her. Don't become cynical about her. Don't leave her. Don't neglect her. I bought her with my son's blood. Serve this church. So these are important things we're about now. Help me and us. Let none here take the blood-bought bride lightly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the next three weeks, Lord willing, we will address the issue raised by the elders three years ago concerning the church and the meaning of membership in its relationship to baptism. A lot of you are very new and don't have a clue what I'm talking about. And others of you, uh, if you're normal, don't remember much about it either. So what I want to do in this message is to explain the issue. Second, tell you what the elders have assigned me to do in these three weeks. I'm not just coming up with this series on my own. And three, provide uh, initial biblical foundation for the meaning of church membership. So what's the issue? We started with a very strong and shared conviction that baptism in the New Testament is the immersion of a professing believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'll read you the key paragraph from the Bethlehem Elder Affirmation of Faith, which every elder must embrace wholeheartedly in order to be an elder at this church. It goes like this, and we have no disunity on this whatsoever. We believe that baptism is an ordinance of the Lord by which those who have repented and come to faith express their union with Christ in his death and resurrection by being immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is a sign of belonging to the new people of God, the true Israel, and an emblem of burial and cleansing, signifying death to the old life of unbelief and purification from the pollution of sin. That's what the Bible teaches, we believe, as your leaders. And that's what we ascribe to. And we started there. That was not the issue. That was the foundation where we stood together. We are totally unified on that. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. And that's why we believe it. The issue was this. How should our church relate to people who are born again, deeply committed to the Bible and to Christ, and not yet persuaded that their infant baptism is unbiblical and invalid. They, in fact, believe it is biblical and valid. So how do we relate to them? That was the issue. 
with regard especially to church membership. Should such believers be admitted in some cases into membership at Bethlehem? That was the question. Or to put the question in the larger theoretical sense, should the front door of the local church be roughly the same size as the door into the universal body of Christ? Or should it be a good bit narrower? That's one way of asking the question. Should we say to a person, you have truly entered into membership in the universal body of Christ. We see the evidences of new birth, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the authenticity of faith in your life. You have truly entered into the universal body of Christ, and you may not enter into membership in this local expression of the body of Christ. That was the question. Another way to put the issue How does the seriousness of exclusion from the local church compare to the seriousness of not being baptized, even though after studying Scripture and being trying to be obedient, the unbaptized person thinks he's baptized? How do those two seriousness compare? The seriousness of excluding a born-again person from the church, and the seriousness of admitting unbaptized people who think they're baptized. In the real world, where genuine, Bible-believing, gospel-loving, Christ-exalting, mission-minded Christians do not agree on the meaning of baptism, as it's taught in the New Testament, how should we relate to each other. On the one hand, if we say you may be a member of this church, even though you are not biblically baptized, that seems to undermine the importance of baptism. We know that all Christians in the New Testament were baptized, except one the thief on the cross. At least we don't know of any who weren't. It would be an argument from silence to say, oh, there were some non-baptized Christians. All the, all the letters give the indication that to be a Christian was to have been baptized. Therefore, it's not a small thing. Can't just treat it as though it's negligible. It's huge in the New Testament that baptism is expected of all believers. So if you admit somebody who against your own affirmation of faith is not baptized, it looks as though you're saying, there's no big deal. It's not important. On the other hand, if we say, even though you are born again and a member of Christ you may not be a member of this church. That seems to undermine a person's faith and the meaning of the local church. It seems to undermine faith 
Because from one angle, exclusion of someone at the front door is like advance excommunication. When you excommunicate somebody, when you put them out of the church, according to Matthew 18, 17, you let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Let them be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. When you put them out, that's called excommunication, disfellowshipping. You, you let them be to you as a tax collector. That means an unbeliever, which means love them and try to win them to Christ. If we exclude someone, are we saying that about them? That sounds really serious. And saying to a genuine believer that you can't belong to the church, who's part of the universal body of Christ, seems to say this is not an expression of the universal body of Christ. This is something else, something narrower. The elders spent... Several years on this issue, you can see how tangled it is, before we ever said a word to the congregation about it. Years we labored on this, meeting on Saturday mornings and late at night, dealing with this difficult issue. And in September of 2005, we brought a 79-page document to you, some of you may remember it, arguing that there should be some exceptions to the requirement of baptism in whom we admit to membership. And that recommendation was withdrawn by the elders in December because it appeared to us that the understanding of the issues and the agreement on the issues was so far from where it needed to be that it would be precipitous to ask you to vote after three months of having introduced the issue. After we'd spent years on it, we expect you to be up to speed in three months. And so uh, we pulled it off the table. And uh, some of you were very, very sad about that. And others of you were very, very relieved about that. And that's where we are as a church. Uh, some of you did not like that motion. And others of you thought it was finally a precious and wonderful way to do, do church. Now, the elders have asked me to speak about this wider issue uh, in a way that would not lay down any timetable, would not call for any vote, would not introduce any motion. My job is to clarify the issue as fairly as I can, even though I was very much in favor of that motion, and that was no secret then, and it's no secret to the elders now. So my job is to clarify the issues and to summon you now over the next whatever, months or years, to pray and to think through this issue so that if God would be pleased, we don't know if he would be or not, to unite elders and people around an answer to those questions. That's all. No deadlines, no motion, just let's keep thinking, keep praying, and here's three weeks' worth of input to, to help us think. One of the key convictions behind that motion from the elders was the conviction that excluding a person from church membership 
who was truly born again, giving credible evidence of saving faith, was a more serious mistake than receiving into membership a true believer who's not biblically baptized, though they believe they are. That's a tough call, is it not? I don't regard it as easy. That conviction assumes something that a lot of people did not assume. Namely, that church membership is really significant. Where a church does not believe that, this motion will not fly. And I'll try to make plain why that is. One of the main arguments against the motion was that membership in a local church like Bethlehem simply doesn't matter very much because you can be a non-member here and go to worship, take the Lord's Supper, go to Sunday school, be a part of a small group, and if we know you're there, maybe even be visited in the hospital by an elder. So what's the deal with membership? That's really dangerous. But that's, that's the case. Or you can always go down the street, across town. Lots of churches don't like what I, we believe about baptism. Go somewhere else. Not a problem. We exclude you. They don't. Everything's okay. Or is it? How serious is it to say to a regenerate person, a born-again person, a brother in Christ, you are not permitted to be a member of this church? How serious is that? The elders thought, think, it is very serious. So what I'm going to do in the rest of this message is try to develop biblical support for the seriousness of church membership. That's all. Most of you have not thought of that or combed the New Testament to find that support. So this will be new, I believe, for most of you to reflect on should I or shouldn't I be a member of a local church. Does that just flip a coin? That's just no big deal. I'm here. I'm listening. What's a membership thing? That, that's where a lot of people are, like, like maybe 3,000 at Bethlehem. Number one, I've got five biblical foundations for the importance of church membership. Number one, membership is implied by the way the church is supposed to discipline its members. Membership is implied by the way the New Testament shows that we're supposed to discipline our members. And I'm getting this from Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, where the church appears to be the final court of appeal in matters of church discipline. Here, I'll read it to you. This is Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault 
Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established in the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. If there is no church membership, how can you define the group that you bring this incredibly sensitive issue to? Bring it to whom? Anybody that walks in off the street says, I'm a believer? Really? I can't imagine that such a painful, sensitive, loaded issue as putting a person in the position of an unbeliever corporately would be handled by, come one, come all. So, I conclude when it says, tell it to the church, they knew who they were talking about. Whether they were on a list or in a head, doesn't matter to me, they knew you were it and you weren't it. So you can get to act on this and you don't act on this because you're not fit to act on this. This is really big that a church can deliver someone over to Satan, as it were. That's number one. Number two, church membership is implied by the simple fact that excommunication even exists. And here I'll go to 1 Corinthians 5, 12 and 13. Just the existence of the possibility of dealing with someone in the church and telling him, now you're not in the church. So listen to 1 Corinthians 5.12. What have I to do with judging outsiders? This is Paul talking. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Now you can see he's not talking about the church universal here. He's talking about a local church, namely the church in Corinth. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Now, such a formal removal would just not be possible if there were no such thing as a clear membership. Who's accountable? Who's accountable here? Who, we, you, you'd, you'd get totally bent out of shape if you were visiting tonight and we collectively voted you out of the church. You say, I'm not even in the church. <laughs> Leave me alone. And, and, and that would be a perfectly fitting response. But not for everybody. Let me read that again. What have I to do with judging outsiders? It's those inside the church whom you are to judge. That means assess whether their blatant behavior dishonoring Christ can be tolerated in the church. And, and you decide and, and you say, no, it can't be. And then you say, you're not in anymore, you're out. 
I don't know how you can do things like that, weigh such weighty matters and take such actions if there would be no such thing as membership. Number three, membership is implied in the biblical requirement for Christians to be submitted to a group of church leaders, elders, or pastors. The requirement in the Bible that Christians be submissive to an eldership or a pastoral staff implies that there's some relationship there that's definable. The point here is uh, that without membership, who is it in the New Testament that the New Testament is referring to who must submit to the group of elders at Bethlehem? You? You? Are you in the number that are biblically told to submit to this eldership? Or are you not in the number? And, and how do we know? Because that's our job, to, to know who to hold accountable. Let me read you the key text that I'm thinking about. This is Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls, as though who, who will give an account. Your job is submission. My job is to go before the judge of the universe and tell him I loved you well. So that your submission wasn't the least coercive, it wasn't the least abusive, it wasn't the least manipulative. It was all Jesus-like love. That's my job is to give an account to the king that I, with the other 35 elders here, served you well. Your job is to receive that service and respond positively to it. We're not absolute. We don't, we're not free from error. God is your absolute Lord, not us, but under him. That means something. Here's another one. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 13. We ask you, brothers, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them highly in love because of their work. So, how does that work? Give esteem and honor and submission to a body of leaders. Which body? Body over at Wooddale? Body up at Open Door? Body at Burnsville Assembly of God? What? Which body are you, how do you obey this? The only way I know to move forward on such questions is identify the church. It's called membership. I don't give a rip about names or words. I just care about reality here. This is, this is real, real biblical life we're talking about here. And I don't see how it's possible for you to do your job and me to do my job if we don't know who each other is. Here's number four. It's almost the same. Just flip the coin. Membership is implied in the way the New Testament requires elders, me and the others here, to care for the flock of, in their charge. So here's the text. Acts twenty twenty eight. You elders, Paul's talking to the elders of Ephesus. You elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers 
to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now, what's my job with regard to the members? Pick a church. I know Leith Anderson. Let's use Wooddale. I will give an account for the fulfilling of taking heed to all the flock. Does that include Wooddale? No. Leith will give an account. Well, who does it include? Everybody who shows up here on Sunday, Saturday? No. I don't even know who the visitors are. They come, they go. Some want to be here, some don't want to be here. Some are just passing through the town. Who? Lord, who am I responsible for? Read it again. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. There's got to be some way to define that flock. Or I'm, I'm just dead. I'm just dead in hopeless overextension. No way to plan, no way to think, no way to pray. Number five. Oh, let me give you one other verse on that one. I notice here in my notes. First uh, Peter 5, verse 2. This is to elders again. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gains. He's telling pastors not to work for money, but eagerly, not domineering. And then here comes this phrase. I checked it out in the Greek and tried to figure out, is this a good translation? Not domineering over, ESV, those in your charge. Just one word in Greek, kleron, lot or portion, lot or portion, like an inheritance. I've got a lot assigned to me, a portion assigned to me. I have to have some way to get my arms around them. The way we do it is lots of elders, lots of small group leaders, and trying to just figure out constant processes by which I can't even know everybody in a 4,000-member church, but I can shepherd them in a way. And I'll give an account for this way. Did I work hard to figure this out and work with the elders to get our arms around all those who... What? All those who will declare themselves, this is my church. I am accountable here. They are accountable for me. I will be faithful here. This is my body, the expression of the universal church. Number five... Membership is implied in the metaphor of the body. And finally, I'm alluding to the text very briefly that was read earlier. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 following. And I'll just pick the first verse, verse 12. If you wonder, where does the word member even come from? Is it a biblical word? This is where it comes from. And member means hand, arm, ear, eye, nose, foot. That's what a member is. It's, it's part of a something, an organic part of a something. You cut it off, something bad happens to the body. Okay, I'll just read verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, so there's the biblical 
basis of using the word. It has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. And then he goes on to describe the local expression of Christ at Corinth. So the question that this image, body, body, hand, body, eye, body, ear, raises for us in the local church is who is it that intends to be treated as a hand or foot or an eye or an ear in the body? There's a unity here. There's an organic connectedness that's implied in this body so that it just seems to me something is really unusual for a Christian to relate tangentially to the body. It just seems ill, seems sick, seems like a growth. You know, like, ooh, what are you? I'm not part of the body. Well, what are you? Where are you? <laughs> There's just something strange about that, don't you think? The picture here is that the body has hands and eyes and ears and feet and Everybody finds who they are in the body and then experiences organic. And if that can't happen in this church, then either we're doing something wrong or you're doing something wrong or there's another place. But it's really big. Okay, so those are my five biblical foundations for taking membership as seriously as we, I want to say, do. I don't think we do. I think I'll say should. I don't think we're doing all we should at Bethlehem. I really don't. I think we need to up the ante of membership uh, and call for a higher level of commitment than we do. So let me sum it up. Each of us uh, should be a member of a local body of believers. That means, one, We should take responsibility to discipline those in the body who don't repent. Second, it means we should declare ourselves to be part of the body so that if we are wayward and unrepentant, we can be put out of the body. We should want to be in that position. A lot of people in America, of course, wouldn't want to be in that position. Well, I wouldn't want to join in order that I could be put out because that means being in really means something, really means something. Number three, it means that we should take our position under a leadership of a particular eldership in a local body. Four, it means that we should declare ourselves to be part of a group who expect the eldership to serve the church well. This church, not every church, this people, not all people. And number five, we should find our place in the organic whole as part of the the body, as a hand or a toe. So that's God's plan for us and for this church. And that's what we mean by membership. All those aspects of membership, and here's a very important point, all those aspects of membership are rooted in the truth that the local church is a visible expression of the universal church. The body of Christ universally is expressed in the bodies of Christ locally. To belong to the body of Christ 
means in the New Testament to belong to a body of Christ. I'm going to say that again because that's very, very threatening for many Lone Ranger Christians. To belong to the body of Christ in the New Testament meant to belong to a body of Christ. They weren't separate. They weren't like, oh, I'm a part of the universal church and I just cruise. I just go from church to church and small group to small group and parachurch ministry to parachurch ministry and I have no roots like this anywhere. That's not biblical. I close by urging you to pray this through and think this through with us. We have no deadlines. We have no motions. We just have longings. And we need to be unified. We can't go forward. We can't go forward without God giving us light on this. Long Ranger Christians are a contradiction to the body. So I, I ask you, are you an accountable member of a local church? And I don't mean by that is your name on a list only. I mean, are you committed to discipline and being disciplined? I mean, have you publicly declared your willingness to be shepherded and to be led by a particular group of pastors or elders? Do you see yourself and your gifts as grafted in to a body in an organic way so that when one hurts, they all hurt? Do you show by your firm attachment to Christ's body that you are attached to Christ? Church membership Brothers and sisters, visitors and that strange phenomenon called regular attenders and members. Brothers and sisters, church membership is a blood-bought gift of God's grace. Oh, I love this church. The older I get, the more I love the church. The more I get, the more patient I believe I become with this broken bride because I'm it and I'm broken. Just about everything about me is imperfect. No, that's an understatement. Everything about me is imperfect. <laughs> Let's be honest. And so it's easier as I get older to love the imperfect. I'm going to meet Jesus Soon. I've been here 28 years. I'm into my 29th year as of two weeks ago. I will give an account for this church. I don't know how it will go. I expect to get my hands smacked. Maybe a few little well-dones on a few points, but not without some, you blew it. If I didn't believe in the gospel and the cross, there's no way I could do this. Nor the elders that stand with me to try to love you well. Because I know, I know there are going to be people who walk out of these services saying, well, that may be their goal, but it isn't working for me. I know that.
And uh, I expect I will hear that till the day Jesus comes or I die. And I pray that it will never stop me from trying to do better. That I will never be paralyzed by the, the people who are disappointed with our church. But I just want to stress the positive note as I end. Church membership is sweet. It is a sweet gift of God. More than most of us realize, it is a life-sustaining, faith-strengthening, joy-preserving means of God's mercy to us. So I urge you, all of you, all of you, I urge you not to cut yourself off from this blessing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I stand amazed that I would be privileged, called by the Holy Spirit and confirmed by your people, that I would be privileged to be an elder at Bethlehem. Absolutely amazing. I want to be faithful. My biggest concern here is not that my people shape up. My biggest concern is that I serve better. That we elders rise to every challenge with love, not with any kind of bitterness or resentment or cynicism. Oh, may we be servants of your blood-bought body, Bethlehem. And would you help us know who that is? and who it should be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.